Welcome to Operation Opera. I'm Rachel Payne. I'm Elisa Peterson. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about when is it art and when is it music and when does it get to be both. I had an experience a little bit ago in which I was working with a coach who, what, what did we decide we should name this person? Gertrude. That's right. I like that name. I think there's nothing wrong with I think that's the perfect name for somebody who is not really somebody. No, not I, I just if you're going to make up a name. That's my grandma's name. No, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can tell by the audio today, we are actually in the same space. Yay. Yeah, so it's kind of nice we can actually sound pretty good. Um, okay, so I was having a coaching with or working with um, and a coach, a coach accompanist, Gertrude. And this is a person who is pretty well known and is pretty connected, I guess, in the area. And what's interesting is that I felt completely unsupported by, by this person, like by their playing, by their demeanor. I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't really sing. Have you ever... Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. do you know it? Yeah. Definitely. Um, so as I, as I worked with this person, I thought a lot about this idea. Like, when is it... You know, when is a person a musician and when is a person an artist? Because they were a very proficient musician. Um, but when it came to artistry and really feeling like I was making music with someone. That just didn't happen. Um, and so I, I kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about that and like, what, what is it? Like, what is it do you think that makes that difference that crosses that threshold? Hmm. I have theories. I like theories. <laughs> I like theories a lot. So, <clears throat> yeah, I would say, uh, Interestingly enough, over the course of my now 25 plus year career as a singer, meaning been I've been performing that long and collaborating with other musicians, um, I've definitely had some of both. And even with the same person, I've had the experience of connecting and not connecting. Sure. So uh, I think it depends on the, the type of music and how adept each of the performers is at that music, the amount of rehearsal time that's allowed in order to connect and collaborate well on this piece of music when there's not a lot of rehearsal time or, you know, when when either party doesn't spend much or any time with the music before the rehearsal. um, That can sometimes make it harder. I think it also has to do with... um, some of the psychological, emotional preoccupations that may be at play. I know that for me growing up, because I was a very assertive young woman and confident, I elicited... (laughs) And pause. Confident. (laughs) I elicited a certain degree of resentment or what I would call... The opposite of encouragement. It wasn't really discouragement, but it was sort of disapproval on a certain level from people who could have been my mentors, Hmm. um, but saw me as threatening in some way. So I think that there's, yeah, there's sort of the dynamic of what's our background in relation to this kind of music or this particular piece, you know, have you performed it a bunch and I'm looking at it for the first time, um, you know, and you know, actually a good time, uh, to really delineate, um, uh, between this sort of musician versus artist is, is in an audition. And how many times Hmm. have you been with a pianist who 
supported you in a way that made you into your best self in that audition. And how grateful were you for that accompanist, for that pianist. And then the opposite, of course, where you were having to sort of try to tune them out because they were dragging you down, (laughs) you know, sort of you, uh, maybe they were playing all the right notes, but it was just, they were missing all your cues. They weren't following you at all. And there just wasn't, yeah, there wasn't that give and take between the two. It was just sort of like, Oh, what is that person doing? They're off in outer space. I think that's a really interesting idea of bringing that up about in an audition setting. What, you know, when is it art? Because so often in an audition setting, it's just, please, Lord, help me get through this <laughs> and not fall on my face, literally or figuratively. Um, I remember I remember once having an audition experience where I, this guy um, played for me who was so sensitive and was able to follow absolutely everything that I did. And I came out of that audition, and I actually called him several times to play for me, and he was never available, of course, because when you're amazing, everybody wants to work with you. Um, And I think that that's maybe what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're an artist, it's something that you recognize in a person, even at a really young age. I feel like art is something that you are born with. You know, there are people, the, uh, like, we've talked a little bit about those singers that start singing when they're, you know, eight or nine years old and they, and they sort of have a flash in the pan career and they're singing classical music and they shouldn't, right? Because they're not mature enough physically to handle the roles or emotionally to handle the roles. But there's something often in those young people that speaks on some level. And I think that actually might be art. I mean, maybe that's a stretch. But I don't know. I Unfortunately, they're subjected to terrible, overdone repertoire. <laughs> well, and but re- they can absolutely, still connect to it right. Some level but but and, re- and repertoire that um, that has been, you know, when you hear something so many times by so many different people, um, I think sometimes that's actually a good thing. But very often there are kind of key key record recordings right and then it's just mimicry and when you're mimicking you're doing muscle manipulation that isn't actually based in process it's just based in result and anytime you're doing that yeah an imitation and anytime you're doing that uh, you're not accessing I would say not anytime but usually you're not accessing the full potential of your actual instrument Um, but yeah I it's funny, something else that you mentioned, thinking about working with a pianist who's really great sometimes, and then other times when you work with them, like you said, like, what's their familiarity? What's your familiarity uh, with a piece? And I guess I feel like the music, because the composer isn't here anymore, for the most part, in our repertoire, you kind of have to pretend that they are. Hmm. You know what I mean? Talk more about that. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Explain yourself. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I uh, when I I told you about that experience. Did I talk about this at all? About that experience Bounce. that I had? Oh no. Um, at Mozart's birth house. I don't know if I've talked about this. Maybe. Oh yeah, know. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did I talk about it on the podcast? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay. So I had this experience when I went to Mozart's birth house where I was walking around and speaking, so we're talking right about composers and, and having them still being sort of a living, breathing thing. Um, and their work being alive in you. So I was walking around his birth house and I had this very distinct feeling that was, if you are going to sing my music, you must know how I lived. And I stopped and thought that was weird. (laughs) okay, (laughs) like, hello, but it was something that really struck me, and as I walked through his home, I sort of thought differently about his music, and I thought about his music as I walked through the home, and, you know, these humble beginnings, and, and what, you know, what would have elicited the kind of playful nature that he expressed in his writing, and in his life, um, you know, sort of based on, on, the sort of impression that I'd had in that space. So, I don't know. I guess I think that that art requires us to be completely 
open, right? Mm. Um, like and that. what does that look like? So <clears throat> sometimes when, when two people, and artists are known for being opinionated people. Headstrong who people. Who feel strongly and passionately, have passionate uh, feelings and thoughts about things and, and ways things should be done and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> uh, when we run into these personality conflicts, so that openness can turn into sort of the porcupine spikes, you know, hmm. um, and that obviously doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a fruitful collaboration. Well, anytime, yeah, right. Anytime you're on the defensive and I guess maybe that was in this coaching, that was what I was experiencing was maybe potentially feelings of inadequacy on their part and feelings of inadequacy on my part. Like, I knew that I was not at a place where I was ready to perform this repertoire. I was, I was there to work on it. I was there to work on the voice. I was there to work, um, to work. Process. Yeah. I was there to do process and not, and there was a comment that was said that was, you know, well, maybe you should just try. And anytime, anytime I hear that phrase from a pianist, I get frustrated and that's my issue. I realize that I'm, it's something I'm working on. But, um, and I try not to, you know, be a jerk because, you know, nobody wants to work with a jerk. But, um. Because it wasn't related to the score or an expression. Yeah, it wasn't really. It was related to the right, instrument. Right, the instrument. And I, and it's like, And the hello. pianist is not a voice teacher. Right. I'm working on it. Hello. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I mean, it's my favorite in like the worst way. When someone says, have you ever thought or have you ever tried? It's like, yes. How long have I been singing? I try every day. <laughs> every freaking day. Like, has anyone ever told you, yes, yes, they have. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you hear the thing, you look like, really, yes, they tell me that too, you know, like, or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, I think probably one of my favorite things that someone ever said to me was, you know, there will never be a shortage of opinions um, on your voice. Everyone will always have an opinion on your voice and how you sound. And that was something that gave me a lot of comfort and made me think like, yeah, it's true. Everybody has an opinion. And they all stink. <laughs> they oh, all wait, stink. That's another. No, that was not part of the. That was not <laughs> part of the advice. Part. No, no, it's just that they will have an opinion, and you just put that in like the opinion box. Like, thank you. You know, you know, it's like, how do we make this office yeah. better? How do we make this experience better? Put it in the opinion box. Great. And I guess that's where humility comes in mm. and why it's so important to be humble as an artist, because if you want to be able to express what you, what you are and what you have, you know, you have to be able to collaborate. And that's why I love the term collaborative pianist. Um, because in, in those moments when you, when you are in sync with someone, that's exactly what it is. It really is a collaboration. Um, mm. yeah. Collab. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And that's, uh, that's also why much of the art song repertoire is so much fun, mm. especially when the pianist <clears throat> has either played it before or has had a moment with it, because it's not always easy to play. It's not something that can really be sight read or dialed in, depending on the pianist. Um, <clears throat> but there's potential there for such collaboration because of the way that the voice and the, and the piano play together back and forth they sort of hand things back and forth to each other and and counterpoint and things that are going on between the two that are intended to be extremely collaborative and 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 performed in a more intimate setting where that can really be appreciated absolutely absolutely no I decided I this concert that's coming up that I'm doing in a couple of weeks I met with um my my collaborator with the pianist uh yesterday and we talked about what we would need as far as rehearsal time. It's actually really funny. I showed up. <laughs> I went on the wrong day. I was supposed to go today to go work with her. Oh. And I showed up yesterday, and she was like, oh, I had you on the calendar for tomorrow. And I was like, huh. And I looked down, and I said, me too. <laughs> Are you free, though? <laughs> yeah. And, and she was like, I'm free now. We can work. I'm like, oh, that's very good. Okay. That's very <laughs> I good. So I drove it's in the calendar it had it and today you know the little ping reminded me in one hour i'm like yes in one hour i will not be going because i went yesterday anyway so i showed up and we done, <laughs> done exactly we started i was just eager we started talking about the pieces and 
I just love that she was like, well, let's get together once a week for the next couple of weeks and, you know, I'll work on it, you work on it, and then we'll just, you know, we'll get better and better. And I was like, thank you. That's exactly what it needs to be. That's what it needs to be. It needs to have time. It needs to marinate. It can't be, I'm doing a concert. I can afford to pay you or whoever is donating the money for this can afford to pay you, you know, for two rehearsals and Mm -hmm. you're not going to look at the music other than in those two rehearsals. You can't with this stuff. Like how... But what you're doing is not the norm. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it's great that she's up for it. Yeah. And you're up for it and everybody has the time yeah, and, for sure. Um, and yeah, that will or makes the time, is, right? It's not the, not the norm. It's not the norm, but it makes such a difference. Like, I went to a concert a couple of years ago with two very famous, um, well, not very famous, but fairly, well, one of them was very famous and one less so, um, singers, and the lack of preparation was so apparent that I almost left. Like. On the part of both singers? On the part of both singers. Like, and and it may have only been one and they were just singing a duet and it was difficult to coordinate because Mm. they hadn't had adequate time to prepare. Yeah. And it's just like, you've, you've got to, you've got to put the time in. You can't, you know, you can't just, you can't phone it in. You can't phone in the repertoire that requires, you know, time at the keys. You just can't. I don't know. But when you when you do get to see something amazing and people have actually spent time, it really is something transportative about it. It's it is otherworldly because it's from a different time, and hmm. and I think that that can come across and it's just so beautiful. Like I'm I'm preparing these Brahms pieces and oh, I'm so excited to sing them because they're so lovely and of course they deal with themes of longing. Mm. Which, as we know, yeah, Brahms seems like a really good fit for you. Oh, Brahms, as a person, <clears throat> was so interesting, such an interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Brahms? And I you mean, know what we could include along with this podcast is the the little video clip we made at his museum. <laughs> the little like thirty second thing we, we could totally schlock or whatever. It's <laughs> <called>. schlock. Yeah. <laughs> um, strange name of a place. Yeah. And I love that they made a museum for him when he lived there one summer. Like, he lived there for one summer, and they were like, Museum! Brahms! Someone did something that mattered here. He slept in this room! <laughs> That's right. For a summer. It was a nice little place, actually. There was a pretty large little apartment he yeah, had I there. Yeah, I liked it, too. They had yeah. some really wacky displays, too. Their, their budget was low when they started, I think. And I think so. they're, they're ramping it up now. <laughs> yeah. But it's got some... Yeah, some memories of yesteryear. My favorite is like, these are things of Brahms' that were not here, but they were his, you know, or these are things that were not written here, but we have them, so here they are. Like, that's kind of what it felt like, and that museum was great. Yeah, it was a little, a little scrappy, little piecemeal. Yeah, it was but... great, I love it, yeah. No, I, I find Brahms to be fascinating. Um, I actually have sort of a theory about him. I've been reading this... Uh, for years, I've been reading this biography about his life by Jan Swafford or Jan. I don't know if it's Jan or Jan, oh. but yeah, I've, I've made You've it through. You've been reading it for years? Years. Like I've taken, I've taken it on multiple planes and I'll read like a few pages and then feel really good about myself. And then, cause it's really hard for me to like sit down and actually read. Mm. It's just hard because I'm in 1700 places at once. But when I do get to do it, I love it. Um, and this particular book, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, <laughs> so Brahms, when he was young, and he was about 11 or 12, I guess. I think he maybe been 12. He got a job because his family needed the money, and he got a job playing at a brothel. And he was very attractive even as a young, young boy. He just was a very handsome man and child. And the girls really loved him and he was sort of a favorite in a way and like they doted on him and whatever. And he had such a strange relationship with women, um, and a love, a love hate relationship, not too different. I would, I, I would wager than someone who maybe has a pornography addiction and struggles with both wanting, needing and hating at the same time. Um, sex and woman and whatever. So, yeah, I've I've often wondered if the reason why he had 
you know, such intense longing for and love of Clara Schumann was because this was the, you know, the, you have the sort of the Madonna horror thing, right, that people Mm. talk about. Hmm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's, that was sort of something that he, he dealt with. And subsequently, because of that longing, um, and that inability to satisfy, um, that his music is so incredible and mm-hmm. is so full of genuine emotion <clears throat> yeah, and not trite in any way, the way that, you know, I think it's very easy for salon music uh, to be kind of, you know, churned out, sort of the circus performer or whatever, you know, it, but it's, it's not. His music is very, very heartfelt and honest. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm just really drawn to that. I love it. Yeah. And just beautiful. So, um, I was reflecting, uh, as, as we've just been sitting here talking about this, I've, I've been reflecting back on my early years and you know, what's interesting meeting people in these situations where you're going to collaborate on some music, people you don't know and, and the vulnerability of creating music, mm-hmm. particularly I'll speak as a singer because I am one. I have played other instruments and I feel like it is more vulnerable to be a singer because when people judge your voice, they're judging you. Your instrument is you and so it feels very personal. And putting yourself out there for that either praise or rejection is a very vulnerable place to be. And I think when I was young, it was my tendency to... The reason I came across as this energetic confident person was because that was sort of a a coping mechanism or a defense mechanism Mm. against the vulnerability that was inherent in what I was doing. Mm. And so it was sort of like if I could establish with the other person that I'm strong and they don't need to mess with me or whatever, that that would somehow protect me or make the process of, of, of musicking together. I like it. Music-y. Oh yeah. Well, I decided to just go ahead. TM. Yeah. <laughs> Musicking. <laughs> I like it. With the S-I-C-K-I-N-G. Yeah. yeah. Musicking together. Um, a little bit, a little bit smoother. And it was sort of like, and this was a game that I played not only with, with in music, but I think in life in general, I tried mm-hmm. to establish sort of a, a hierarchy, establish myself as being of a greater status. And there is the temptation of this. This is where, this is where name dropping comes in or whatever it may be that sort of establishes like I've, I've spent time with this person. And so I am, you know, it's a sort of validation, um, through association. Um, and, uh, you know, people will have pictures of themselves with someone famous or whatever it may be. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we go into these vulnerable situations and we want to feel respected. We want to feel um, legitimate in what we're doing. You know, mm. we want to we feel validated on some level mm. um, by, by our collaborators. We don't want to feel like they're looking down on us or they, they're significantly more experienced or, you know, this is just one of their stupid gigs, you know, and the good stuff is somewhere else. The good stuff, you know, the <laughs> stuff they're really looking forward to that they, that they blog about or that they talk to their cool friends about. But I worked that's, with that's so-and-so. Oh, it was lovely. Yeah. Whatever it, whatever it may be. But I feel like it's, it's a very mature musician and artist who can, who can look at a collaborative situation for exactly what it is, which is an opportunity to to communicate with this language called music, to Absolutely. communicate with each other, to to honor the, what the what the composer was trying to communicate. Um, you focus use... on the work. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think uh, yeah, and 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 not just because I think that music is such a unique language in that it's it's vibration. And, and so like the energy we sense from each other is also vibration. So when we bring music into this mix of whatever, whatever you're giving me, whatever I'm giving you on a level of who we are and and what kind of mood we're in that day or whatever it may be, we bring in this other thing, this other element. And, and really it's an opportunity to, to elevate always music is always 
it can kind of take the energy and, and bring it to a different place and, and transport you, like you were saying. And it's this opportunity, um, yeah, to, I, I don't want to say to escape. It's not like it's a drug or something, but but in a way, it, it is. It's... Well, if it is escaping with music, <clears throat> and I mean, I guess it depends on the kind of music, maybe, at least in my... In my experience, does the child want blueberries? Just gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for that. Okay. Um, I think the kind of escape that music provides is an escape from things that actually aren't real, um, even though they're tangible, even though they're right in front of you. I think what music gives is a doorway into something that is potentially more a higher reality yeah. maybe uh, yeah and a, and a consciousness of of that that beingness that exists beyond thought and beyond it's sort of this well it's beyond it's intangible, the physical but yeah you know it's beyond just <clears throat> you know what we see and touch and hear and smell it's um like there are certain pieces of music, and this is actually something I struggle with as a singer, because there are certain things that, as a singer, we have words usually, right? Or we're singing on all or whatever. But rarely, though, usually. We right, have but words. usually we have words because if you're going to write music with words, you know, you, you're going to write something that's worth saying, and you the the, the hope and and the maybe the point of it is to be able to sort of touch on more more senses. But, like, the Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto, the second Piano Concerto, the Adagio Movement, is probably one of the most transcendent pieces of music for me. Um, when I listen to that piece, and it depends on who's playing it, of course, because, you know, again, like, there's a difference between an artist and a musician. Um, but when I listen to that piece, I feel like in that is what love sounds like, like, or what it feels like. Or what it can feel like, potentially, maybe someday. Mm. And there's something transcendent about that because it can't be described in words for me. Mm. Like, it's just, that's it. It's right there. <clears throat> and, and, it, and it really does depend on who's playing it. Like, there are several recordings that I'm like, nope. 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 <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, but there are some... That when I hear it, it's like, okay, that yes, that person, I feel like, understands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is interesting. Um, f I want to say first, I've heard um, music is what feelings sound like. Yes. <laughs> have you ever so, heard I that? Have, I don't yeah. know totally who love it. all these quotes. I don't know who said it. Who knows? But, Ask but, the yeah, Google. That. Yeah. And then also I wanted to say, um, I maybe I've told this story before, I don't remember, but I was learning um, the Act One duet from Tosca a, f uh, a few years ago. Four years ago and uh and after i learned the music i was sort of just listening to well i listened to four different singers uh perform it mm -hmm. just to see what they did with it to see how they communicated it how they were vocally how they were with the character and just to sort of yeah experience their rendition their interpretation of tosca in this duet and hands down the most interesting person of these four and I won't say all of them because we don't need to this doesn't need to be competition nope. time nope but for me it was Maria Callas Ta -da! I knew it I knew because it because <laughs> <laughs> even though it was maybe not vocally technically perfect what is this it's, I don't know it just I don't know why. It just felt right somehow. Because I knew. Did you get this at the Wagner Museum? Yeah, I did. Sorry. Oh, Go I on. didn't know. Go on. Why Maria are you buying things without telling me about it? That's really cute. This is, yeah, unfortunately it got wet, so it's like falling apart. Okay, go oh, on. Oh, man. But it still works. Yes, it, it still does. plays. Um, <laughs> Maria Collins. Because, yeah, it may not have been vocally technically perfect, but she was saying something. And, like, the way that she communicated the message was magnetic to me. Like, I was dialed in. I was, like, I was there. I believed her. Yes. And the other ones, I was just like, they also weren't vocally technically perfect. 
Um, well, well, one of them was actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that was not a not a native uh, Italian speaker, and it just showed. And it's so hard, you know, when you're interpreting a character whose native language is fill in the blank. When yours is not, but, and it but comes so across. But so is Maria Callas. I mean, she's Greek, so she's her Greek, native language but, was not Italian. Yes, but she, I think, learned Italian from a very young age, and her Italian was perfect. I think also, her work as an artist was to interpret something completely honestly. Yeah, I think that was that was a major part of her of her work was to find the character mm. and to be the character in mm. every way that was necessary in order to in order to feel it and in order to express it honestly. Would you say that she was sort of a method actor? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, the fact that she took on so many roles that she really, honestly, people will, you know, I think it's pretty commonly Carmen. talked about, like that she shouldn't have taken on. Yeah. Um, she did them, even if they were completely out of her fox, she was like, you know, well, F that. I mean, <laughs> sorry. No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> like, she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because, I think because she wanted to play those people. Honestly. Yeah. I yeah. think that's one of the... Reasons and that she, she did could do whatever she, she wanted at that point. That's right. She could because, but the, the thing is, the Italians, in my experience, are not interested in people who don't understand Italian culture in hmm. their singing. Like, if you like, I had this really interesting conversation when I was in Siena a couple of years ago. Um, I was in this little shop, and I had just performed Nedda mm. from Pagliacci, mm-hmm. and she was talking with me about what an awful person Nedda was and how it's her favorite opera, but she hates her. And I was like, really? You hate her? And she said, she's the worst. <laughs> and we talked about this, and I thought, huh, I wonder how much... Uh, I mean, it's and I can understand... Yeah, yeah, it's it's the passion, right? It's like you... And you have to choose a side, I think, in... In, in the culture, like you have to choose a side in the culture of, of the opera um, and then hopefully it gets sort of turned on its head. I actually think Pagliacci is one of one of probably the most seamless storylines in opera, mm. like the way that every character has a soft and, you know, a hard side or, or a light and a dark side. Mm. You know, they each get a moment to be both both kind of what they do the best and then also their worst side. Mm. Um, and, and it's nice and short, which is great for, you know, being able to communicate things in time that doesn't feel quite so languid, (laughs) languid, drawn out, drawn out. Exactly. I will die for 37 minutes and you will like it. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with me in the dying process. That's right. Well, and you know, that, that the process of what we were talking about with, um, that musicianship as artist, um, the artists, they hold you mm. and they don't let go of you when you're there. Yeah. You're with them. And I think that kind of a commitment, um, is so rare because it takes a lot, it takes a lot of cojones to do that. You yes, know, it really absolutely. does. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that was what inspired me though in the beginning, right? With yeah. Joyce and Joyce Di Donato and her performance of Maria Stuarda, which is not a short opera. And I was just t- totally on the edge of my seat looking at her because she, she had me. Yep. She had me at hello or whatever it was at the, whatever her first line was in the opera. It was, <laughs> it was a turn. Um, and, <laughs> And, um, yeah, she just, she, she holds that space and it's like, she has you, but it's because she has herself completely committed and unapologetic. And not asking for permission. Right. And not asking for approval. Like what we were talking about earlier about the voice and like, you know, in some ways seeking approval from people like, and you'll never get it. Like, because there will always be someone always, and you have to find it within yourself. Like you yeah. have to find that, and something I think that I've been working on, and, and and that I've really felt, um, since I've been working with the teacher that I'm currently working with, is that 
when you're able to treat your voice as a separate thing from you, Mm. when you're able to treat it as an instrument and recognize that it has good days and bad days, you know, it has, you know, days in which, you know, it warms up easily. Like if it's its own thing, it's much easier to not beat yourself up when things are not perfect and to recognize that perfection is elusive and it's meant to be, I think, because why else would we keep striving? And what does striving get you? I This is a great segue into the, the maybe the final point, I don't know, yeah, that we'll yeah. make. Um, <clears throat> because this popped into my head, and I think it really relates to a lot of the points we've made earlier. Um, so part of being a musician versus being an artist, I think, has to do with trying to be right. Hmm. Right? Which goes along with the perfectionism thing. Mm-hmm. And so when there's this almost obsession with doing it correctly, art cannot enter the picture. And when it is perfect, which if it ever is perfect, art is sometimes the making of art and the, the it's elusive. Well, it's because a- they can't really coexist. And you could say, actually, it's perfect in its imperfection, which I kind of like that. Yeah, well, art is messy. It just is. It it has to be experimental. It has to be, you have to have the freedom to explore. You have to have the freedom to make mistakes or else. And maybe that's why this coaching was so frustrating for me was because there was just this feeling of, no, I'm, you know, we need to play right now. Like play has to happen. Mm. This is the time to explore. This is the time to figure it out and, and to see what's working, what isn't working. Um, and you, and you have to allow yourself that space, uh, Mm. because if you don't, you can never, I think, see where it'll lead, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think there's a difference between like something that you just said, this like need to be right, this need to be perfect. There's a, there's a big difference between needing it to be right and having a point of view like as a character Hmm. and as a person, like having a point of view, making a decision about I'm going to, you know, I'm turning this way at this point because I'm talking to the grocer and the grocer and then I'm going to turn this way or here, you know, having a point of view, having, making decisions about what you're doing, when you're doing it Hmm. so that you know who you are, where you are and, and, and what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's but I guess totally, that's a dip, but I mean, yeah, that's, that's just sort thing. of a necessary structure that's put into place. Like, yes. It's like blocking and then you fill in with the, right. With more in the moment stuff, but you do have sort of that gross framework yeah. that you're working within. But I was thinking about like <clears throat> how many artists, um, and there I called them artists from particularly from one area of the world are extremely adept at um, playing all the notes correctly and and with feeling, or at least they're observing the expression markings that are there, but overall the performance feels fairly hollow, mm-hmm. even though the notes are there. The crescendo began at the beginning of the measure and went on for two and a half measures, <laughs> and then there was a, an abrupt cutoff yeah, and then, you know. Yeah, and yeah, so it's like, it's what there. is what is missing from from these particular people? In fact, this. You know what I think it is. I'm, I'm not just saying it's them. No, it may be other people too, but there has been like a sort of an influx of opera singers from this area of the world. Yes, and it's like they've they've studied the language, they've they've listened to a lot of recordings, and and they've coached them, they've coached these arias, but there's still something. Some, I think, you know what I think it is? And obviously this is not across the board, but I think, in I do think in general, that if you have lost joy, hmm. then I don't know if you can be an artist. I don't know. I don't know either, because... Well, I mean, Rothko, or he, think about, he was real depressed. <laughs> or um. think about someone like Brahms. Someone who, for sure, but the had thing a is, lot of... I think he he had joy in longing. Really? Absolutely. I think that there was a kind of like, hmm. 
a kind of satisfaction, a kind of, you know, a kind of heightened experience that was tapped into when he... What is that joy? Maybe that's not joy. Maybe joy I mean, is the wrong word. I mean, he definitely had passion or feeling or whatever you want to call it, but I don't know if it was joy. So maybe it's not joy so much as being able to sort of tap into your own soul. I mean, yeah. Your own it, heart. It's, it's, I mean, your own desire. Your own... That vulnerability and honesty. Yeah, your own humanity. Mm-hmm. I think that's what, you know, that's what... Because of these other Toscas that I listened to, two of them were actually Italian. They were native Italian, you know, born and raised Italian sopranos. Um... But their words still, even though obviously they knew what they were saying and they pronounced it correctly, their words just still didn't carry the weight of of Kalas. I find that, you know, when interpreting, especially a piece that is so well known as like Visitarte, I guess you were talking about the duet. Yeah. Which is not as well known. But I think there has to be both conviction, so having a point of view, and then also some room to what we've talked about a little bit about playing. Hmm. There has to be some room for for response, and hmm. and and this is this is one of my major things. Like in any scene work that I do with anyone, it's like no, you, you know, that there sort of has to be a baseline understanding of what what the relationship is, or if it's supposed to be ambiguous, then Maybe you don't talk about it at all because you need to have that ambiguity mm-hmm. as sort of an underlying bubbling thing in in your interpretation. But I remember doing this like when I did, um, when I think Mikaela, you know, like forever ago, because please don't ever make me think again. <laughs> I never want to again. Uh, it was beautiful though. She sings some of the most, I think she sings the most beautiful, some of the most beautiful music in the opera, but... I remember when I was working with my Don Jose and we were talking about it and he, and he was, he was expressing like, I don't really know how to, how to react to you. I don't really know how to, to be with, uh, be with you or how I should feel about you. And, and I don't really know. And I'm like, well, I think you have to think about, you know, who are you with Carmen? Like, what is Carmen to you? And this was someone who at one point in his life had had a real um, struggle with alcohol. And and I said, well, maybe she's your drink of choice. Hmm. And and I'm, you know, as Mikaela, you know, I'm, I'm your, like, life coach, like, or whatever. You know, I'm the person who's there and, like, helping you or whatever, you know. But, but there was something about that and talking about that that really sort of, I think, really hit home and... And we were able to, like starting from there, really able to get into um, the thing that made it, made it about, you know, made it about you, made it about him, made it about me. Like what, you know, what is the thing that, that keeps this real? Hmm. Yeah. Because without that, why do it? Yeah. Art You're right. imitates life, imitates art. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Is that a silly example? Or is that does that make any sense? No, uh, yeah, it absolutely does. I think, um, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that was Callus's secret too, a little bit. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, she, we know... Some of her life, right? I mean, she wrote, just like everyone wrote an autobiography, this is me, or whatever, like, <laughs> like and talked about her, her her early years and and how she was chubby, and um, I think she really struggled with a lot of things and, and, um, and made conscious choices. I really don't know that much about her early life, actually. I could totally be wrong about that. I know that that's like all that I know. <laughs> I, I, I just said <laughs> wasn't bad at said, all. Watch one little Google search is gonna be like Rachel, you are so full of it. <laughs> like, meh, meh. <laughs> Transparency. I know little. <laughs> Yay. Yay. But, but I like to discuss much. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
yeah, finding, finding those moments of artistry are about, I think, finding those moments of honesty within yourself that allow you to, without maybe even saying anything, just, um, being, Hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, along those lines, something interesting that I, I, I spoke with, um, Manu about this summer, our Hmm. acting coach, our movement teacher, um, it was, uh, when I interpreted, uh, Swara Angelica, I struggled not to get emotional. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And in rehearsals, especially, um, I would start crying or whatever. And, um, and my mentor said to me, um, you can't, you can't feel it like that or else we, we can't feel it. The audience can't feel it when you're feeling it. Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting line, uh, between, yeah, personalizing it and figuring out what about it is real for you and true for you and what of yourself you can bring to the character in order to bring that level of reality and humanity to it. And then what sort of needs to be paired back so that it reads in the most effective way. Absolutely. And that's what a director's for. Right. Because we can't always know that. Absolutely. Well, and I think you bring up a really good point in that, like, going to the extreme is part of the play, I Mm. I feel like. Like, you go to the extreme thing in your own life, in the life of the character, you write the most extreme thing, and then you take it back and you say, and what is this person's life today? And why are they still alive? And why do they keep going? And what Mm. makes them a survivor? What makes them someone that, that... that hasn't given up and because that's why we root for them. Like that's why we care. I think. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, those are my thoughts. I think that's, that's probably, that's probably good. I don't know. Um, well I was thinking about, uh, there was one other thing I was thinking as it relates to, yeah, our, musician versus artist and it's kind of it's an interesting I don't know what it is but it is interesting uh that as we as musicians and particularly as vocalists we study our whole lives and we sort of always return to the teacher we trust to be able to well once we find that teacher (laughs) Mm-hmm. And hopefully it's sooner than later. But even if it's later, hey, better late than never. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, we sort of, but we sort of are always checking in with that teacher and with that external pair of ears that we trust um, to tell us what's going on. But then it's it sort of becomes a matter of um, at what point do you give yourself permission? At what point is it good enough? And you can. You can move forward and you don't have to just always be relying on other people to, to give you permission or to validate you or to, to put you out there and say, yes, you're ready, you're good enough, go for it. Um, because I think that that's actually a key component to being an artist. Yes. Is Point of view. Knowing yeah, something. About coming yourself. into your yes. own and saying, I'm doing this. This is happening, and not because someone else told me I could, but because it's coming from inside of me, and I'm letting it out, and and it's, it is what it is. But you know, I'm I'm expressing it because I feel to do so, and you know, whatever comes of it comes of it. But there has to be a certain <clears throat> sort of uh, acknowledgement of mastery on a certain level in order for you to be able to be an artist. So until you get to a place where you say, yes, I know what I'm doing. Yes, what I'm doing is is valid. Like, what I'm doing is legit on a level. Like, I'm here to communicate the message of this song with these notes that I produce from my throat and, or whatever, you know. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I think that without that, that element of permission and, and commitment... And lack of apology, like we were talking about. Yeah. The art can't occur because there's always sort of this second guessing, weird, you know, 
going inside and looking around and seeing what's going on with me and not really being ready to to express and to connect with an audience. Right. And I, I, it's funny because it makes me think about, about visual arts, actually. It makes hmm. me think about, like, what if, you know, Pollock, if someone had come over, you know, in his studio that first day that he was doing his his droplets, you know, or the, the sort of, yeah, the splatter, oh, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. If someone, I don't, I don't know what that technique is called, but, um, you know, what he's famous for. If mm-hmm. he was, you know, his first canvas, they came over, they're like, you know, maybe you should just turn it around and use the brush side, you know, instead of like the stick. I don't know. I, I just feel like it's, you're, you're using a lot of paint, you know, maybe it's just too much. The, the fact is that was, his signature that was what was going to make him different that was you know but 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 he did everything else before that you know Mm. he he did figure studies he did um landscapes right he did from what i understand he did what you have to do in order to be a classical artist you have to study a wide variety of of styles in order to be able to then make your choice and decide i've done these things and i will go this way yeah. And, and he sort of found his voice yeah, in that way. Right. His own unique voice. His own unique voice. After after studying and, how, and, and after seeing so years. much art <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> after seeing so much art, it's so easy, I think, to become like what is happening right now or at the time that you're that you are that you're being, right? Or that you're living in. It's so easy to become a product of your culture mm-hmm. instead of what drives the culture forward. Like mm. what, what, what changes it? Taking what, outside yeah. of the box. Yeah. Well, what taking what's there and saying, I'm going to go in this way, you know, mm. and, and still again, keeping the foundation that is there because it should be there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's what gives validity, um, you know, on, to some to some degree, to what we create. Every but, dancer knows you gotta start with ballet. Yeah, right, exactly. You have Whatever to start. you're gonna end up dancing. The foundation the needs to be there, yeah. and that foundation is what eventually gives you the wings to fly, because it gives you, you know, or it's the runway, you know, and then you're able to I like it. to soar, and I think that's. I think that's what we're all aiming toward. That's what we're all moving toward is the ability to fly in whatever art form or whatever way we choose to uh, express ourselves is. So. Definitely. All right. Well, this has been fun. Another podcast by Rachel Payne and Elisa Peterson. Operation, 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 operation.